Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6. We're going to be talking about God's Word. Ephesians 6. We're just going to look at one verse, uh, actually part of a verse, verse 17. But I want to read, uh, starting with verse 10, to kind of get us um, with the context of where we're at. Starting with verse 10, I'll read through 17. And let's stand together and uh, just follow along as I read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you have given us your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through it this morning. Open our hearts that we can behold wonderful things from your law. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 17, uh, halfway through, he says, and the Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're working our way through this armor of God, and we've come here to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, and then he explains exactly what that is. So we're completely clear on that. He's not vague at all. He says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So often we want to hear from the Spirit. We want to be led by the Spirit. Lord, lead us by your Spirit. Lead us by your Spirit. Speak to us by your Spirit. Lead us. Help me to know what to do by your Spirit. Help me to know what to do by your Spirit. But do we go to the Bible? Do we search the Word of God? Do we go into this Word that He's given us? Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As we put on the armor of God, we must, we must take up the sword of the Spirit. If you remember last week, we talked about Jesus in the wilderness when he was tempted. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. You notice through that whole story, at no point does Jesus have to go, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, please give me guidance, help me, help me, help me. No, he knew God's word. And so his response is continually applying the word of God to the circumstances at hand. He's tempted and he applies the word of God. That's what we need. That's what Paul's saying is take up the sword of the spirit. So when temptation comes, when attack comes and it's going to come, you're prepared with the sword, the word of God to combat those forces. Take up the sword of the spirit. Take up the word of God. You know, as I talk to people, it it seems so often that for so many Christians in the church in America, that the Bible, the Word of God is is almost like a burden. 
I mean, you see it laying on your counter, you see it laying on the table or on the bookshelf or whatever, and it's almost like I see it and I feel guilty because I haven't read it and I know I should read it more. And that's completely not how we should be living or thinking. It's the wrong perspective, even. We should love it. We should crave it. It's life to us. You remember when Jesus in John 6, he, he preaches that message and all of the disciples, they bail on him. And he looks at the 12 and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Remember what Peter responds? He said, where will we go? To whom do we turn? For you have the words of eternal life. You have the words of life. We need God's word. We should crave it and love it because it's life for us. We shouldn't be turning to other places. We shouldn't be looking to other things. We should look to God's word, to God's word, to God's word, to God's word. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Robert Murray McShane said this. He says, if you are ever so much taken up with any enjoyment that it takes away your love for prayer or for your Bible, then you are abusing this world. If you are taken up by any enjoyment so much that it takes away from your enjoyment, your love of prayer or for God's word, then you're abusing this world. Yet God's given us things to enjoy. But too often what we do is we begin to worship those things he's given us to enjoy when he is the treasure. He's the joy in those joys. And if any of those things in your life are making it less desirable to be in his word... You're abusing his creation. You're abusing the world. What are those things in your life? What are the things that make your time with God less enjoyable or a burden? Shouldn't be that way. Paul says, take up the sword of the spirit, the word of God. What I want to do in in the message is I want to give six reasons why it is crucial, crucial for us to take up the sword of the spirit. Six reasons why it's crucial for us to take up the sword of the Spirit. The first one is this. Because it's God's Word. The God of the universe, the Lord God, has spoken and He wrote it down. He's spoken and He wrote it down for us. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Long ago... And at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He has spoken to us. God, the creator of the world, has spoken to us. And he wrote it down. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Do you really believe that this is not just an ordinary book? It's not like any other book you pick up. It's God's word. He wrote it down for us. What Paul says is is when the scriptures were written, it was God breathing those words through people as they wrote it down. It's directly from God. 
God's word. Do you see it that way? It's crucial that we take up the sword of the spirit because we're taking up the very words of God. It's not just an ordinary book. The second reason it's crucial is because it pierces. And you need to be pierced. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You need that, and I need that. I need to continue picking up the word of God and, 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 and eating it as bread. Just putting it into my mind, putting it into my heart because it pierces and I need that. Why do I need that? Because of what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If my heart was not deceitful, if your heart was not deceitful, we would be in the word of God constantly. And yet our heart deceives us and turns us and pulls us away. The enemy pulls us away and we listen to him. Not realizing we have God's word and we need it. We need that work that the writer of Hebrews is talking about where it pierces deep into us and convicts us and reveals to us our sinfulness. Our depravity. We need that. We need that. We need the word to pierce us, and then we need to use it to pierce the enemy. Now, I loved it when we were praying before the service, and, and, and Dave Crandall was praying, and one of the things he prayed was that how, it was praying for this passage and this sermon this morning, is how so often we, we receive the sword of the Spirit, and we're like David. And the sword is too big for us. It's too heavy for us. We don't know how to use it because we haven't applied ourselves to the word of God to put it in our hearts and our heads so that we know how to wield the sword of the spirit. We don't even know it. And so it seems to us as too heavy and and we feel clumsy with it. We need it. We need to be in it all the time, daily, as often as possible. We need to be taking it in and meditating on it when we're not holding it in front of us, meditating on it and speaking. Speaking it to those around us. It's the sword of the Spirit. We need the word to pierce us. I was, I was reading this week in, in Numbers. And, and uh, came to number 16 about Korah and, and the rebellion of Korah. And if you're not familiar with that, that's where Korah and, and, and the men around him, they come up against Moses and Aaron, and they say, this is enough. You, you've made yourself a prince over us, and, and we've had it, and we're coming against you, and this is going to end. And, and God gets really angry because they're coming and speaking against the man that he's put in front of them to, to lead them, and, and, and they're, they're neglecting the fact that it's God that's leading them out. And so this happens, and, and, and remember, Moses gets up in front of the people, and, and he says that, well, God tells him, get everyone away from Korah and his family and these men and their families, right? Away from their tents. And so Moses does that, and then Moses speaks to the people and says, look, if, if, if God has not put me over you, then may they, they just die in a normal way. But if he has, and this is not my doing, but God's doing, who's leading you out of Egypt then may he do something different. 
And may the ground open up and swallow these men. And it does. And it says the people of Israel heard their cries. Now, I don't know about you. I read that, and my first thought is, that's life-changing. Right? I'm looking a little differently at things at that point, right? The very next verse, the first verse of the next chapter, the next morning, the people of Israel rose up and came against Moses and Aaron and said, you killed those men. As I read that this week, I've been prone in the past to look at that and say, you're idiots. But as I read that this week, I just literally, I put my hands on my face and I prayed, God, why are we so sinful? Why do I do this? Why do I continually turn away? Why do I continually neglect the things that you put in front of me? Why are we like that? Because our hearts are deceitful. And and just like the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active. And we need it to pierce us and change us. And if we will pick it up and put it in our heads and our hearts and embrace it and treasure it as God's word, not just some other book to, to learn from, but as the word of God, then it will change us. And we need to be changed. We need to be pierced so that we might use it to pierce the enemy. The third is this because it is truth. We need the sword of the Spirit. We need the Word of God. It's essential that we take up the sword of the Spirit because it is truth. When Jesus was praying for His disciples and praying for us in John 17, in verse 17, He's praying and He says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. Not sanctify them by the truth, your word is true. But sanctify them by the truth because your word is the truth. It is truth. It defines truth. It's not another true thing that we add on to what we consider to be right or wrong or whatever. It's not another true spiritual writing. And there are other spiritual writings. If you go to this part of the world, well, this is a true spiritual writing that this, this group of people has. And then you go to another part of the world, and this is a true spiritual writing that this group has. No, 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 no. It is the truth. The truth. And we need it to shape us and to guide us and to show us what is right and what is not right. Who is right and who is not right? Christ is the one, the righteous one, the only way, the only truth. We need God's word to point us in that direction. So many people have qualified the Bible as a truth along with others. That's not, tr- that's not true. Sanctify them by the truth because your word is truth. It is the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Speaking of the household of God, Paul says, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. 
Not only is God's word truth, but he has made you, his body, a pillar and buttress of truth. That's what the church is. And to be that, you have to support the truth. That's what pillars do. That's what buttresses do. That's what they did. They were a part of the building that held it up. And that's what Paul says you are as a part of the church. You hold up God's word. You hold it up. You're, you're one who holds up truth. You're a pillar and buttress of truth. To be what God has made you to be, then you have to know it. You have to know how to wield the sword of the Spirit. You have to know what it says. You have to know what it is. It's God's word, and you have to be in it and embrace it and treasure it and love it. Or how can we be what God's made us to be? How can we hold it up if we don't even know what it says? I, I, I really think that, and this includes this church, I, I think we are a people who have gotten so used to just nodding to the right people. I'm just depending on my pastor and whatever he says, that's what I believe. If someone asks me, what, what does this part of the Bible mean? Well, I'll, I'll have to check with my pastor on that. Or I'll have to check with my Bible study leader. I'll have to check with this person. We really don't know what the Bible says. We like the way certain people say what the Bible says. There's certain pastors that we love to hear. And we'll turn on John Piper. I love John Piper. And I think he preaches truth. And I love when, to hear him preach. But can I defend truth? Can I hold up the truth myself? That's what God made you to be, a pillar and buttress of the truth. You need to be taking in God's word. You need to take the sword of the Spirit so that you might hold up truth. If we were in the circumstances as the tribe in the video that we saw, would we, would we ever know anything that the Bible says. If we had to translate it ourselves, if we had to go through the process, the work of going and, and getting in a different language and translating it into our own, will we, will we know three words of the Bible? We have it. He's written it down. And it's truth and we need it because it is Truth. Number four, it's how faith increases. We need it because it's how faith increases. We mentioned this verse last week, Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If I'm weak in faith, and we mentioned the, the passage in, in Luke where the disciples asked Jesus, increase our faith. If I'm weak in faith, I need God's word. So often we'll go through um, seasons. We'll call them seasons, right? And it's okay to go through seasons. And we, we, we say that. It's okay to go through seasons. God is gracious. And it's okay to go through seasons where you read the Bible then and then, and then you'll go through another season where you don't read the Bible. Except the problem is our seasons where we don't read the Bible are like winter here. Like they never end, Right? That's not okay. And again, I, I've said this many times before. I, 
if you hear this as legalistic, you're hearing me wrong. I am not telling you, here's a set of rules that you have to get up and read that this time and this time and this. We're talking about the Lord here. We're talking about our treasure here. It's not legalism, it's love. I love the Lord, and so I want to be in His Word. When I was dating my wife, Shauna, I loved her, and so when she wrote me letters, I didn't put them aside up on the shelf, and if I got some time and, and felt like it, if I, the burden of those letters up there, if I felt like it, then I would pick up these letters and read through them, plug my nose because she put perfume on them. Right? That's ridiculous. I loved her, and so when she wrote me a letter, I opened it as quickly as I could, and I read it because I loved the one that wrote it. It's not legalism, it's love. If I say I love the Lord, then why would I consider it legalism to be in His Word? So if you hear me saying that, I'm not. I'm just telling you to love the Lord. And to be what you say that you are. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. If we need to grow in our faith, then we need to be in the Bible. And if we're in one of those seasons where we're not reading the Word, we tend to blame it on with a lack of faith. Well, then guess what you need? God's word. You need the sword of the spirit to pierce you. You need the sword of the spirit to grow you, to nurture you, to feed you, so that you might love him more. So often, we tend to see that as legalism because we tend to see this as a textbook. And it's not. It's living and active. It's God's word. That he's written down for us. Number five, because God has exalted it. Because God has exalted it. In Psalm 138, verse 2, the psalmist writes this I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. You remember what Peter writes? The flower will wither and fade. The grass will fade. The flower will wither. But the word of the Lord will remain forever, will stand forever. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. We ought to be worshiping the Lord, exalting the Lord because of and through his word. He has exalted his word. Go to it. Worship through it. Don't just pick it up and struggle to read the words. Worship him as you read it. God has spoken to us. It's how we ought to be worshiping him. Picking it up and listening to him as you read. To worship him through it, exalt him. He has exalted it, and we ought to exalt him. The wonderful grace that he gave it to us in our own language. Before we get to number six, I want to mention um, I know that we could add more to this list. I could do more than six. You could go to Psalm 119 and read through it and add 30 more reasons to why we must 
pick up the sword of the Spirit, why we must embrace the Word of God. And if you want to do that, you should do that. You should go to 119 and say, look, my pastor fell short and he only gave me six. I'm going to finish it. We'll have 36 by the time this is done. Go for it, all right? That would be awesome. I understand that, okay? I want to, here's what I want to do. I want to spend some more time on number six than I have on the rest. Because I, I think it's so important for us. As a part of the body of Christ, I think um, that number six, and, and specifically for us here at Cornerstone, I think it's important. I think we can do better in this area. Number six is this. It is more certain than experience. It is more certain than experience. Turn to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to read starting with verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's what's happening here, okay? In verse 16, Peter says this, look, we we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. You know what myths are? They're stories that, that someone starts telling. And then, and then as they go along, the stories kind of grow and change. And, and people add this so that it sounds a little bit better. And, and then they'll add this. And, and, and by the end, it, 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 it's completely different. And the story you started with is completely different than the one you end up with. And, 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 and maybe the story you end up with is better. It's a, it's a bigger tale, and, and, and people like to hear it more. Well, Peter says, that's not what, we, not, it's not what we're doing here. We're not telling you this myth that has grown or changed or anything. We're not telling you a story that people have added on to. We're telling you the truth. In fact, he says, we were uh, for, no, the end of 16, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw with our own eyes the Lord Jesus glorified. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory that said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the transfiguration. He's talking about what happened in Luke 9. Turn back to Luke 9. Hold your, hold your finger there in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. In Luke 9, starting with verse 28. 
This is where Jesus goes up on the mountain and he takes Peter and James and John. And on the mountain, he is transfigured. His, his, his appearance changes in front of these disciples. They saw it with their very eyes. He becomes glorified in front of them. Okay? That's what Peter's referring to in, in 2 Peter. So let's read that account, okay? Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took him with him, Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And he was saying these things, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Well, Peter's now telling about what he had seen. He's on the mountain with James, with John. Jesus is there, and all of a sudden, Jesus changes into this glorious appearance before them. And not just that, but Moses and Elijah appear with him, and they're talking. I can't imagine. I cannot even imagine what that must have been like to the disciples. But that wasn't the end of it. If that was the end of it, it would have been great. I mean, that's a great experience right there. But then, all of a sudden, this cloud comes down on the mountain. What does that remind us of? The cloud in the Old Testament, the glory of God. And it comes down, and it's not like they're one of the Israelites who's at the bottom of the mountain and he's looking up and they see the cloud up there. They're inside the cloud. And there they are with Jesus glorified in the cloud, the glory of God surrounding them. Then, if that doesn't make It is as great as it could possibly be. They hear the voice of God speak like thunder. And he says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I can't even, I cannot even imagine what that must have been like. That's what Peter's talking about in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, look, we're not making up stories to you. We're telling you myths. We're not. We were there. We were in the cloud. We were there. We experienced the glory of God. And we heard the voice of God speak from heaven. And he said to us, this is my son. Listen to him. You know what you do when that happens? You start listening better to Jesus, right? Here's the thing. We all want that. I think in the church, we want that so badly. We want the experience. We want the, we want the Christian conference. We want to go to this place. We want, to, we want to hear the voice of the Lord. We want Him to write on the, on the wall. God, just speak to me. Speak to me. Speak to me. Tell me what you want me to do. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear it thunder from heaven. If you just speak to me, I'll do it. We want the experience. And Peter got it. He got the ultimate experience there's no experience you'll have on this earth that will top 
what Peter got. He was in the cloud. How does he respond to that? How does he respond to that? He doesn't discount it, okay? He doesn't discount it. In fact, in verse 16, as we're saying, we're not following cleverly devised myths. We're, this, is, this is some proof that we have for you that we're not following those cleverly devised myths. But what does he say after that? We heard the voice of God. Verse 19. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word. We have something more certain. We have something more sure than that. We have the scriptures. God spoke and he wrote it down. And all of it points to his son. All of it points to Jesus. More sure than the mountain. More sure than the, sure than the glory cloud. More sure than hearing the voice of God thundering from heaven. More sure than that. Yes. More sure than that. Peter says, you have God's word. You're fooling yourselves, guys. When we pray and pray and pray, God, if you just speak to me, if you just write on the wall, if you just do this, if you just do this, if you would just do this, then I would believe and I would hear and I would listen. No, you wouldn't. That's what Jesus says when he tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus and and the rich man is in in Hades and and he's looking up and he's begging for someone to just go, for God to send someone and tell his brothers because if someone will come and tell them, then they'll believe. And Jesus says, no, they won't. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe them, they're not going to believe even if someone rises from the dead and comes and tells them. We're fooling ourselves. We have something more certain than the experience. We have God's word written down and handed to us. We tend to seek the mountaintop experiences because we don't see the Bible as what it really is. We don't see it as the same voice that thundered from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. But that's what it is. God has spoken and he wrote it down and we have something more sure than the experience and if you're caught in this whirlwind in this cycle and not moving forward with christ because you're waiting if he would just speak if he would just move if he would just send someone to tell me he sent someone to tell you and you need to get out of this cycle you need to pick up the word of god and you need to read it and you need to listen to the son of god who has spoken you need to listen to him My prayer for you this morning is that you would see God's word as it really is. It's God's word. That's what Peter goes on and says here. We have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you'll do well to pay attention. That's a great line. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Are you taking up the sword of the Spirit? Do you love it? Do you treasure it? Do you embrace it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it is what God said it is? His word. 
Are you loving him by being in it? Are you listening to him by being in it? Are you worshiping him by being in it? And being made ready and prepared to wield it, to to use it when you're attacked by the enemy. How beautiful, how beautiful it would be if this morning we just, in our hearts, we confessed and repented of our sin of not taking God's word as it really is, not putting it in our hearts. How beautiful it would be if we became a people who wielded the sword of the Spirit as one body. This community would not stand a chance because the word of God is living and active and it pierces hearts. And if we were to be those people, if we were to be a people who embraced God's word and took the sword of the spirit and lived by the sword of the spirit, what would happen around us? People would be changed because we're not living for ourselves anymore. We're living for the word of God, for God himself. Let me encourage you just practically as you take up the sword of the spirit each day. Just a simple acronym. If you have something to write on, you can write this down. Because I believe that you should be using God's word in prayer. You should be using that to assist your prayer, to be the foundation of your prayer, to be the words of your prayer sometimes. Often. You should be listening in prayer as you read God's word, but I, I came across this in uh, a book actually that John Piper wrote, and he has this acronym. It's been very helpful. I want to encourage you with it. I O U S. I O U, easy to remember. Add an S, okay? Make it plural. Number one, I incline my heart to your testimonies. We, we pray that and we, we quote that verse a lot here. No, we do the next one. This one too. Psalm 119, 36, incline my heart to your testimonies. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Pray that. Before you read, as you you come before the Lord, Lord, incline my heart to this word of yours. Help me to want it. Help Help me to lean towards it. Help me to be bent towards your word. Oh, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your word. That's what we pray and talk about a lot. Psalm 119, Verse 18, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things in your world, in your word. You unite my heart to fear your name. Open my eyes so that I can see and understand by your spirit. Help me to understand what you're saying here. And then unite my heart to those words and to you. Knit my heart to you through this. Unite my heart to fear your name. And then finally, as satisfy me in the morning, Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy me in the morning. Satisfy me with your word. Let me be satisfied with what I see and hear from you in your word. To incline my heart to it, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things in your word. Unite my heart to fear your name and satisfy me by it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, just as as was prayed in the video before the message, um, you decided which languages your word would be written down in. You decided that. 
And by your amazing grace and sovereign care, you chose that it would be written in our language. May we be astounded by that truth, by your love, that you would care about us that much. You have given us the greatest treasure, greater than anything we could ever try and live for on this earth. You've given us your word, the sword of the Spirit. May we take it up. May we embrace it and treasure it and love it. May we see it as it really is. Your word, God, your word. May you increase our faith by it. May you pierce our hearts with it. That we would be changed into soldiers who do not leave, who do not get up, who do not lay down, who do not go out who do not come in without wielding the sword of the Spirit. As the psalmist says, let it be a light to our path, Lord. May it guide us, direct us. May we use it to fend off the enemy and his attacks. Lord, may we see it as it is so much better than experience, God. We want the experience. We want our heart to race. We want tears to come, Lord, in other ways than through reading your word. We want the emotional high, Lord. Forgive us. It is sin. It is idolatry for us to want that more than you. Help us, God. I pray that we would embrace you through your word, that you would speak to our hearts through your word, that we would not see it as a textbook, but as living and active. Thank you, God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.